Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I want you to get up right now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Negs Best Film Podcast. I am your host, Matty Negs, and today I'm going to be joined by Couch, otherwise known as Couch Tomato Film on Twitter. He and I are going to be discussing Hardcore Henry in this episode, as well as the state of violence in modern day filmmaking. He and I are also going to engage in an episode of Cinema Throwdown here, which is something that we didn't get to do on the last podcast as I was joined by my pal James. He and I previewed the new season of Game of Thrones, season 6, which should be coming back to HBO as of this recording in about, oh, say about 12 days or so. Should be pretty awesome. I'm really excited for that. We have new polls up on the website right now. We have uh, which throwback review you guys want to see next. Last week's winner was District 9, but right now you can go on there and vote for the Dark Knight Trilogy, Foxcatcher, the Grand Budapest Hotel, or the Toy Story Trilogy. So, two films that came out the same year, and two trilogies. And then we also have which live-action Disney remake is your favorite in honor of The Jungle Book coming out this weekend. The choices are 101 Dalmatians, Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, Maleficent, and Snow White and the Huntsman. Feel free to go on the site, check out the polls, vote, let us know what you think there. And by all means, if you guys want to be on the show, feel free to drop me a dime and let me know what is going on. But for episode 8, as always, let's get rolling. Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. All right, everyone. This here is episode 8 of the Negs Best Film Podcast. I am your host, Matty Negs, and today I am being joined by Couch. All righty, so it's Couch, Couch Tomato, Couch Tomato Film. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking couch here, right? So just couch? Couch works? Yeah, you could call me couch for the rest of the show, but to the fans out um, out there, just um, couch tomato. Um, we'll talk about how to, uh, I guess, find me later. But uh, yeah, I go by couch. So I love movies, breathe movies and everything. Sounds good, couch. And as you all know, I am Negs. And today we're going to be discussing hardcore Henry, but before we get to that, Couch, what have you been watching at home this week, catching up on uh, anything good lately? Yeah, well, you know, um, the Star Wars Force Awaken um, Blu-ray came out last week. Oh, yeah. So I've already watched it um, three times. Um, wow. Lo- loving the uh, special features on there. There's not a commentary track. That sucks, but movie still holds up. The magic uh, still kind of shines through my living room the same way it did in theaters. Um, yeah, so that also was catching up on Walking Dead. I was always like two episodes behind, so I finally caught up on that, um, and that was pretty awesome. Other than that, 
just to kind of um just kind of going through my dvd collection nothing major i'm getting ready for um uh civil war so i was going through a lot of phase one movies um with marvel but uh just pretty awesome week in regards to checking out my collection that's awesome man that's good to hear I myself uh, caught up on a lot. So I rewatched Moon recently as part of my throwback review on nextbestthing.com from 2009 starring Sam Rockwell. Man, what a film that is, especially a debut film for Duncan Jones. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. And it's a shame that um, Sam Rockwell doesn't get the um, starring roles in Hollywood like he should. But oh, um, yeah. that's that's one of the movies that kind of helped me um, put him on a... Uh, I guess higher on the totem pole for me. Like he's one of my favorite. He's not not one of my favorite actors, but he's just one of the people I love to see on screen. So yeah, anytime he pops up in any film, even if it's a supporting role in a bit part, I instantly get excited. I loved him in uh, also in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Seven Psychopaths. He's fantastic in. He's also my favorite part of. Uh, Charlie's Angels, actually. Yeah. You know, it's, he does that James Brown move like every movie. He did it on Iron Man two and Charlie's Angels, and same here. Like I'm not. He was the like kind of like the only one of the few redeeming factors um, um, in the Charlie's Angels film. Absolutely, he's great. I really, really, really want him to get even more roles. Unfortunately, I saw the trailer for a new movie he had coming out with uh, Anna Kendrick, I believe it was called uh, Mr. Right, and. That I've heard totally tanked and did not do well at all. So it's a shame that the guy still hasn't been able to catch lightning in a bottle yet because he is very, very talented. And Moon is just an all-around fantastic film. I was really, really happy to go back and revisit that. It's it's extremely underrated. So if uh, for the listeners out there who haven't seen it, um, great film. Also, he was getting um, The Way Way Back as well. That's one of my favorite roles he was in. So oh, I just yeah. wanted to give that an honorable mention. Absolutely. He's great in that. I also got a chance to catch up um, on a couple of other new release films that came out this weekend, mainly The Boss with Melissa McCarthy and Demolition with Jake Gyllenhaal. And The Boss is, uh, it's better than Tammy. I'll give it that. (laughs) It's not amazing. I don't know if that's a compliment, but uh, just uh, judging by your reluctancy to kind of give it um i guess you don't want to spoil it for me but you you, um, nah nah i I mean i kind of saw i know i know what i'm getting from um comedies comedies used to be my favorite genre and um it's very very hard for hollywood to make me laugh nowadays so i i wasn't looking forward to that at all um Mm. i'm surprised I, i swore this movie was supposed to come out like months ago because the trailers were it seemed like the trailers came out almost six months ago so i don't know what that was about but um yeah i'm I'm not looking forward to it i'll probably never see it so i mean let, let me hear your brief review on it a thumbs up thumbs down what's up thumbs down melissa mccarthy is a comic genius and she is really good but she's kind of like middle of the road here where she's not deplorably bad like she mm-hmm. is in films like identity thief and tammy yeah. but she's not at the level as as where she is in films like bridesmaids or spy and i think a large part of that has to do with working with her husband and writer in this film uh ben falcone and he wrote he wrote just, tammy as as well right? yeah he yeah. did he did uh, <laughs> yeah he's just not he's just not that gifted of a storyteller yeah. honestly 
I don't know what it is with him, but his uh, his sensibilities are not as there as someone like a Paul Feig, mm-hmm. who's got Ghostbusters coming out later this year and has definitely utilized McCarthy's talents very well. I mean, there is... I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. There is a scene where Peter Dinklage in this movie, I swear to God, if I didn't know that Game of Thrones existed, I would think that this actor is just a laughing stock completely, especially after all the other films I've seen him star in in Hollywood. It's just like Hollywood has not figured out how to properly utilize him yet, and that's a shame. Yeah, coming off of Pixels and going to this, it looks like it's the same kind of story. Is he? Mm, He's like comic relief, but like in a really embarrassing way yeah i think the only um role to recent memory that they used him well in was um the x-men days of future past i think they used him well in that i agree actually i I totally forgot he was in that and maybe that's uh i totally forgot too yeah so i mean that that's probably like the one time in the last five that he got it they got it right so yeah but he i felt like he himself i felt like he was sleepwalking through that role personally i felt like he could have been doing more and that's why i totally forgot about him in that movie he's just not memorable enough yeah um i mean so what are the uh critics saying about the boss right now i I mean i i haven't really been tracking it or um like i said Mm -hmm. it it wasn't something that really caught my eye any um you know uh, you might not have the numbers with well it is supposed to be beating out batman versus superman from what i've been hearing um We'll see if that actually comes true. As of this recording right now, we are in Sunday afternoon. So I guess we'll know probably in a little bit, actually. They should have a forecasted amount. Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood Reporter, this is five hours ago, is saying that um, Melissa McCarthy's The Boss with 23.5 million squeezes ahead of Batman v Superman. Oh, man. Yes. Wow. That's bad for Batman versus Superman. It is, man. I I mean, um, I. you know, we t- when we talked, because uh, we were on a, another podcast together, and um, I hadn't seen the movie yet, because I didn't want to rush out to see it, and plus I had so much other stuff going on with things that I do in regards to blogs and YouTube and stuff, but <laughs> I finally got around to seeing Batman v uh, Superman last week, the week before last, whatever, I'm mm-hmm. losing my, and um, it's, it's, to me, it's not something I'm going to buy on Blu-ray, like I told you um, when we talked, but it's not the worst movie ever made. I don't know if um, the numbers that it got on Rotten Tomatoes is doing that film justice. I don't think mm-hmm. it's. A, I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it's. A, um, but I guess to say, I know a lot more movies that are um, worse than it. You know what I mean? And for it, yeah, I th- yeah, I think it's um, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> you know, you remember the Rotten Tomatoes score for that film? Yeah, uh, twenty nine. Yeah, th- it, it's not a twenty nine, in my opinion. You know what I mean? But um. Hey, you know, that's what happens when you try to shoehorn too many characters into your universe at one time. So. You become as bad as uh as bad as Spider-Man 3 pretty much. They were comparing Blart. Paul um Paul, Paul Blart has a um better Rotten Tomato score than Batman v Superman. That is just alarming to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of that also has to do with critics have an agenda against um, the way Warner Brothers is handling this franchise yep. and the way Zack Snyder has also been handling the reins of these films. It's just, 
ah man, he's he he too is just not a gifted storyteller for this kind of work. He's a visual artist and he creates amazing images, but and I've talked about this to death and I'm still waiting to get assassinated that I've talked about this movie so badly that I know that someone's going to be at my front door later ready to chop my head off for mm-hmm. saying so many bad things about this movie, but it's just not a good film and Zack Snyder does not know these characters. He does not portray them in the light that we as audience members and also as fans can appreciate. And he does not handle all of the jumbling uh, storylines together well. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it's like three films in one. It's three shorts in one or, you know, 18 shorts in one film. That's that's his thing. I mean, I, 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 like he would do awesome on YouTube, like creating short videos, but he just glues them together to make a film. And I don't think that's uh, that deserves praise at all. So. Well, that's a very, very good way of saying it. And then, um, as I was saying before, I saw a demolition with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And Jake Gyllenhaal's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's actually climbed up to my third favorite actor in Hollywood. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is the actor right now that, now that Leo has his Oscar, I really, really want one yeah. for Jake really yeah. badly. Uh, and I hope he doesn't have to go through the same plight where it's like a kind of a 10-year wait for him. In a way, it kind of already is, if you think about it. I mean, the last time he was nominated was Brokeback Mountain back in 2005. It is, but I, I think even if you talk to Jake, I don't know the guy, but I'm pretty sure he, he would agree that his, um, his career really started getting some legs probably maybe after um, around that, uh, what was it, the source code error? Um, yeah. And that came out only because nobody I, when I watched Day After Tomorrow, I didn't know who Jake Gyllenhaal was, you know, um, but um, really, I started recognizing his face around that source code error. I wasn't a big fan of that movie, but that's when I could pinpoint, OK, the guy from Prince of Persia, that's the same guy from source code. That's the same guy from Prisoners, especially as of late. You know, he's just really been knocking it out of the park. And after um, uh, what was the. What was the film that he got snubbed for when he was the... Uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, after Nightcrawler. That's when I was like, oh, shoot, this guy is like coming and it's like knocking on everyone's door. But um, so I'm anxious to hear about this film. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Because like any... He's going to be one of those guys that I support blindly at the box office. Anything his name's in, I'm definitely going to um, give him ticket sales. Not Maybe not the first week, but um, I just want to kind of support him as an artist. I think he's awesome, so... Well, I like Jean-Marc Vallée. Jean-Marc Vallée is a director that I really appreciate. I love Dallas Buyers Club, and I love Wild. And as an artist, I think that he has a very good visual style, the way he shoots his films, mostly with handheld, that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. And also, his editing is very, very unique and pretty spot on, as far as I'm concerned. Suffice to say, Demolition, while it's decent it's not great it's kind of in the middle and if you've seen the trailer the movie plays out exactly as the trailer plays out Mm -hmm. with the voiceover of him writing the letter with the cutaway to sporadic thoughts that he has um it, it literally plays out just like the trailer in many ways but it is a really good look at the grieving process that he is going through um after losing his wife in the uh, car accident and Jake Gyllenhaal is just such a compelling actor that anything that he's in 
I'm just drawn into it. And I saw I saw a video recently at, on um, YouTube that talked about how Jake Gyllenhaal is an actor that acts with his eyes. And so watching Demolition, this was the first time I had seen a movie with him after watching that video. And I was paying attention to his eyes more and how his eyes conveyed the type of character that he's playing. And you could totally see it in his performance that this guy, this guy's an actor's actor. He knows what he's doing. And he is so subtle and so good at creating uh, lived-in characters that feel authentic. And I, I just really, really appreciate him as an actor. I really want to see him continue to keep doing well. Jean-Marc Vallée, same thing. I don't think this is going to be uh, a high point in either one of their careers, but it's solid. Yeah, and, and, and one thing I would say, it definitely at least keeps him on the radar because, I mean... Um... I don't know. I think it um really makes a difference when um I don't know what um what else Jake has in his catalog for the rest of the year. I don't know if he's um releasing any um major pictures or at least any Oscar contenders towards the back half of the year. But it would suck if he was just kind of a ghost until the Oscars. So at least this keeps him on the radar. But um what about this? So I know um Jake he always uh, uh, bats, um, you know, swings it out of the uh, park when it comes to his um, acting style. Is there any other notable um, performances in this film? I'm looking at the cast right now. Is there anybody else when I watch it that I should keep my eyes on? Chris Cooper. Um, I liked him in this. And other than Jake Gyllenhaal, I really... I mean, Chris Cooper is a guy that I've always I've always liked him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Ever since uh, American Beauty and Adaptation, you know, during the, that period of time, he was like on top of the world as far as I was concerned. And he's just always been like a really great character actor, never a leading actor, always good in supporting roles. Yeah. And he does a pretty good job here, I think, in this film as well, of playing the uh, father of Jake Gyllenhaal's wife in this film, and also his boss, too. And they've got a pair of scenes together that are pretty powerful, I find. And I think that he does, yeah, I think he does a good job. Naomi Watts is the other standout in this movie, Mm -hmm. but she's kind of, she's kind of just there, I felt like, and I think that her role could have been played by anyone else, really. I didn't think that she brought much to it, per se. But she's fine. You know, nobody's uh, bad in this film. I think what a lot of people are upset about when it comes to this movie is just maybe the way that the screenplay turns out and how it explores the way that this man, like, he's personally grieving. But I think there was, like, an emotional catharsis that was missing from this film that people were hoping would come. Uh, and I don't think that we ever fully get it. And if we do get it, it's so personal to the Jake Gyllenhaal character in this film that we don't notice it. Mm-hmm. So make of that what you will, basically. Okay. All right. So we've talked a lot about what we have seen. My voice is pretty shot, mm-hmm. but we're going to soldier on here and we are going to talk about the latest release of Hardcore Henry. Hello, Henry. Do you remember how you got here? This next part might hurt. Squeeze. You and I were, we still are. 
husband and wife. I love you, Henry. Henry, they want your technology. I would do like than you, you. I'm here to help you. Is your speech module installed? But at least we know you're not deaf. Okay, well, the good news is that you're gonna live a while. The bad news is there's an army standing between you and your wife. So let's go get her. Okay, so Hardcore Henry is directed by Ilya Nyshuler. I'm Somebody, somebody's gonna, you know, yell at me for that yeah, one. Yeah, don't ask me how to pronounce it because I'll struggle just as well. So, <laughs> it's also uh, written by uh, him as well, and it stars Chantal Copley, Danila Kozlovsky, Haley Bennett, Tim Roth, and you can even say you, the audience member, as Henry. Yeah, <laughs> which I find is very interesting, but. Couch, let's pass it off to you first. What did you think of Hardcore Henry? All right, so um, I think this movie has an audience. I mean, um, I think it had to be made because when we talk about this is a video game movie for um, those who saw the uh, trailer, it definitely reminds you of a a first-person shooter game, and that's the kind of tone that it sets at the beginning all the way through the end. Um, I would say this movie, not necessarily my thing. I don't like gimmicks too much. So um, I'm very big on action, and it looks like the director is capable of action, um, and, and he it looks like he can shoot action scenes, but for the fact that they're doing a gimmick, he opts out of um, doing um, awesome action sh- scenes and does the shaky cam thing that we hate so much in horror movies and other action movies. So that happened a lot. I mean, it made me nauseous towards the middle, um, but the theater I was in, those guys were clapping. They gave it a standing ovation at the end, and it wasn't a packed theater by any means but it does show me that okay it has an audience for me personally um probably i'll probably see this maybe two more times in my lifetime um it's something that i would definitely catch on uh cable tv if it was on but um yeah i you know i I didn't i didn't really enjoy the movie going experience so to speak Hmm. you know i feel like this is a kind of film where at the end of the year when we hear Quentin Tarantino list his top 10 favorite films of the year, he's probably going to have this on his list. Mm. I, I can't help but feel like that. Because it, 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 it's a different movie. Like you, you could, It's unique. Yeah, it's very... It's, and I think it's going to spur a lot of copycats. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it kind of... Um, even though it's not found footage, you could argue that it's in that same bracket to where it kind of... Re, it's, it's, it's pushing that type of filmmaking to another level to where... You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's different. And like I said, I could from little things that I saw in the movie, I know that the director is capable. And this is only his. Uh, I mean, you you look up the guy's IMDb. He he's only done a short, and he's acted in a like a uh, I think a, a TV show before. And this is his this is his directorial debut. You know, excluding a short. So, um, but I did see uh, areas where I'm like, no, this guy could. He's capable. He's just going for style and he wants to be different and he succeeded, right? Because it is unique. And like you said, this is definitely worthy of being on Quentin Tarantino's top 
top 10 list and a, a bunch of other directors as well that want to see something different from Hollywood. I agree with you on that. It, it, it is a unique experience. And you said in there, style over substance. That is my main knock against this film is that it's lacking in substance. There's no real character development for the character of Henry, who's the protagonist, because you as an audience member are essentially Henry. Yep. So they try to make it so that as the audience member, you are experiencing everything that Henry is seeing everything that he's feeling and everything that he's going through in this movie. But to me, it's like, instead of that immersive um, way to put you into the film that clearly I think they're trying to go for here, I think that a 3D effect would have helped out a long way with that. But, you know, obviously that would probably wasn't at their, um, their disposal here. They are trying to get us hooked, but I feel like this is like, if you're at home and you're watching your friend play a first-person shooter game, you're not playing, you're watching someone else play, that's exactly what this experience is like. Great comparison. Because you're sitting there, and it's not like you have a controller, and you're controlling Henry, and it's a live action, no CGI, it's not a video game, it's a movie, you know, and it looks real. And... That's because it is real. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> this isn't that, though. This is you watching somebody else play that game. And if you're somebody that, you know, enjoys that experience and would rather watch someone play a first-person shooter video game, then I could see how you would get a kick out of this. Me, I thought it was cool. I was definitely in it, and I was having a lot of fun with it. But the film, at a certain point, starts to get so barbarically violent and so gory. Well, that's the, that's the funny thing. All right, so let me. Um, first thing y y you mentioned, uh, there's no, um, there wasn't really an opportunity, or they didn't utilize an opportunity to develop the character Henry, right? Because we're Henry. Exactly. I don't think 3D would have helped. I don't think anything would have helped because your issue right now, Negs, is you lost your voice, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. Henry had the same issue where. He had no voice. So at that, um, and that's a, a crucial part of his character, not being able to talk. So there's no, if we're, we can't see Henry other than um, reflections twice in the film and we can't hear him, the real star in this film is Jimmy, you know, Copley's character. And I, yes. I was scratching my head when I was watching trailers and hearing interview junkets about the film because I'm like, why isn't Copley Henry? You know, when I was researching the film, like, why wouldn't he be the star? Um, and then I realized, oh, he is the star because they do it in a certain way to where he's he's really the only one of the only um, characters um, Henry gets exposed to. So um, but when you talk about it, every this film gets so it, it goes over the top. Right. With some of the it uh, does. And, and that's a video game in a nutshell. You know, level one is always easier than level two. And level 10 is always the hardest. And this film did a great job to capture that um, that tone. To where every level, and you could kind of, um, I guess, notate the scenes as levels. Every um, action uh, sequence uh, set piece, they just take it up to another level. And Henry gets better and better throughout the end to where I was like, you know what? As a, as a video game movie, especially, you know, the whole knock on those things is that they're never successful in capturing the true essence of a video game. I'm like, this is doing it the right way. I really feel like I'm playing or watching a video game. Right. 
The problem, though, is that it's not an adaptation of a video game. It's an original property here. I, I was going to ask you that because when I went to the theater, they give us, um, you know, I'm a, a Stubbs member with the theater that I, I visit and um, they give us uh, a graphic novel to go along with mm -hmm. our ticket. And um, I, I, ha I still have it with me. It says Hardcore Akin. I, I knew nothing about this property um, before purchasing my ticket. So it seems like you're um, a little bit more familiar in that area than I am. Okay, this isn't an adaptation from a video game. What was this prior? It, or you said it's original. It's an original idea. Uh, from what I understand, yes. Oh, okay. All right. Well, definitely they're going to capitalize on merchandising or something after, because I, I would imagine this is going to spur uh, um, a video game or something. Um, so it has to. Yeah, it, it has to. I mean, you watch the film, and if you've ever watched a first-person video game before, and you've watched cutscenes, especially like when Charlton Copley shows up on screen. The way it's framed, the way he moves, and the way he addresses the camera is exactly what like watching a cutscene from a video game, and 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 it kind of made me laugh a couple times too because Charlton Copley always seems to show up at the most convenient of yeah. moments for the hardcore Henry character, and he gives him he gives him missions just like it's like wow this is like the um. You know, on um, video games where they're showing their uh, their video sessions, like, you know, mm -hmm. the trailer pieces. It was just like that. He would just, he was so, Jimmy's character, which is uh, Copley, would be, he was so convenient. Every time Henry is kind of like lost in the game or movie, um, he shows up and like, hey, you probably want to check out this warehouse. Here's a key. It only opens this door, you know. And I'm like, this, <laughs> and, and the fact that his lines were so cheesy and over the top. Yep which would fail in any other movie, it succeeded here because that's how people talk in video games. Like he was making horrible jokes like the um, knock on the knocker. And when you see the movie, it's, 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 it's kind of like a, a joke that he makes. Um, Go to this house and knock on the knock. I'm like, that's lame and that's not funny. That's stale. But the fact that it's in this movie, it actually works. Like the cheese actually is effective in this film. I'll tell you what doesn't work though in this film. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, the villain, uh, Akin. His name is. I agree. And um, okay, that's who um, Akin is. All right, because I I didn't catch his name. That's how forgettable he was. But the yeah. um, the graphic novel they gave us, it's him on the cover. And now now I realize it because he's um making a, a gun float. So he doesn't work. Um, but I'll let you kind of talk about your cons with him first. So. They do a good job in establishing that he is the big baddie, like mm -hmm. you were saying before, to get to at level 10, yeah. in that he's all-powerful. And every time Henry gets close, uh, there's something with his telekinetic power that pushes him away, and then Henry has to then deal with his seamless, seamlessly endless uh, accounts of minions that he just throws at him, pretty much. Um, and I just felt like the way that he was played by uh, Kozlovsky in this film was just so over the top, so cartoonish, and it just was, it was like laughable. I, I didn't find it menacing mm -hmm. as a villain like this should have been. I wonder if it was almost intentional. It didn't work for me, but if it was um, intentional for those guys to make them um, play out on screen like that, like I said, it wasn't my thing. But maybe the audience that it's for, it's reminiscent to some of the um, baddies that they find in the Metal Gear Solid games or um, Vice City or, um, you know, the Grand Theft Auto series, etc. So I don't know if that's what they were going for. 
if they it probably is yeah, and, and and for that reason it, it didn't work for me but i understood what they were doing like like i said yeah there's nothing in this movie where i said to myself that any decision that was made here was by accident yeah. i think everything is intentional yeah. for sure it's just a matter of whether or not it will work for you yeah that's that's what i was gonna say i would recommend um everyone to at least give this a shot to see yes if it is for them because the one thing is you can't suggest this to a a, a niche audience is because they're they've I, I could guarantee you they've never seen a film like this you've seen video games like this but um it's hard for me to recommend it to a group because i'm like well i don't know if you'll like it or hate it because you've never seen a movie like this and um, yeah, it's just so hard to see unique ideas now. So, I, I mean, I got to do a little bit more research on the director because I like I've, I he just kind of popped on the, uh, the radar for me. Uh, and for him to kind of do this original piece, have a um, I would consider, uh, you know, Copley a big name and um, to have mm -hmm. him um, starring in this film. I really don't know um, um, who, uh, how he got that, how he got this greenlit, because you don't, you know, put this into the hands of a. A small time director so i'm pretty sure he's buddy buddy with somebody that matters in hollywood you know and the other thing too about that uh you know it's funny because you keep bringing up that you know it's a first time director he hasn't really proven anything this is a 10 million dollar film that although it doesn't have like kind of the nice glossy shine that i would expect a film like this magnitude to have mm -hmm. it's kind of got like a very grainy look to it the yeah. production value in this movie is through the roof it is it looks it, it looks awesome and by looks awesome i mean the action scenes and how they're choreographed is really incredible that's my biggest pet peeve and that's why it's um that's why i didn't like it is um when they uh the action scenes you could tell actions going on and you could tell awesome fight sequences are happening but the way they pan out or they um because you're watching it through henry's eyes and sometimes he yep. he'll get punched and his face will turn at an inconvenient moment where you're missing some of the key actions uh uh you know um parts and i hated that because it's 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 a new version of shaky cam i can't call it shaky cam because you'll have to see the movie to understand um what i'm talking about or even watch a trailer but um mm -hmm. it's hard to follow the actual um, fighting scenes because of um, the way they use the camera in this. Like I said, I, I know that they spent time with the choreography and I, I could tell that he's capable of um, filming action the right way, but he went with the theme of the movie. I'm like, no, it needs to look like a video game. And he did that. What was your, um, what was your favorite action scene in this movie? Um, I have to say, I, I did really, really like the final scene on the rooftop. That was awesome. It was. It was because it, it was. Just, I loved the, the um how he barricaded himself in the room. He had all the guns, and then he was out of guns. And and every time he's trying to get near Akin, you know, he's using his telekinetic yeah. power to push him away. And like next thing you know, he's got to contend with the other twenty guys that are on the roof. And it was probably more than twenty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> sure. But getting back to um what I was touching upon earlier. I did get the feeling that the amount of gore in this film, because I wasn't expecting it to be as gory as it was. Neither was I. I I definitely started to become numb to it by the end of the film. And it wasn't having... Um, I wasn't disgusted, and I wasn't upset, but I also wasn't jovial and like a teenage boy going like, oh, cool. I, I wasn't feeling that either. I was just somewhere in the middle because it got to a point where it was so much 
that it started to lose its impact on yeah. me. And I echo everything that you said before, too, about the shaky handheld uh, camera stuff. Yes, I get it. It's from his point of view. And yes, if you ever watched, um, I, and I know I keep saying this, but seriously, if you've ever watched even a Call of Duty video game and you have a scene where, um, say, the wall uh, explodes and you know from the side and you're like going through a tunnel and when that wall explodes, what happens? The camera jerks to the right and the vision gets disoriented and now you're swaying left and right to recover after the blast. That's exactly what this is like. And when he's frantic, Henry, and he's running, the camera's bobbling left and right, left and right, left and right. And you're right, when he gets hit, it, it just, that whole dizzying, disorienting experience for me, coupled along with then the moments of violence, at a certain point, I just started to become very numb in the uh, in my seat in the uh, theater. So So here's the thing, when it comes to gore for me, I'm the opposite of you. And the same as you at the same time. And what I mean is, um, I hate gore. Um, it's, it's just, uh, that, um, wow factor for me does the opposite for me. I, I close my eyes when it comes to gore. I just, when you talk about being desensitized, I could watch it on video games, but I hate watching it play out in film. I know it's makeup, but, um, they, uh, kudos to, uh, you know, just makeup guys and, um, they do such a good job that it looks so real to me. So um, yeah. even even in the opening credits, um, the shots that they used in the opening credits, it just had the theater saying, ew, ah, you know, if you remember what I'm talking about, you know. When- yeah, oh yeah, the, op- the opening credits are awesome too because you could totally tell they're inspired by James Bond. Yeah, right? And then um, it's James Bond with um, rated R times 10 or something. But um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so but, but I did become desensitized to it because... The first couple of um, times, you know, gore um, sequences would show up, I would close my eyes or turn away like I I don't want to see that. But then um, throughout the films, since it happened so much, I started I stopped turning away. So I kept watching only because I'm like, well, it's you know, now I'm turning away too much to where. So in and by that definition, I did become desensitized to it. Right. So that that was that was my thing. It did happen a lot. Um, Actually. Every time that it happened in the theater I was in, a lot of people clapped or they, they it got a reaction out of them. And I think they did that um, intentional also because that's the whole knock on um, video games now is that they're too graphic. Um, and I think the um, movie wanted to follow suit and do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get over to uh, final thoughts and grades. Couch, what would you give as a final grade to Hardcore Henry? And do you have any final thoughts you want to contribute? All right. So, um... For I'll mix and match my final thoughts into my uh, grade. But if I'm grading like A, B, C or D, I'll give Mm -hmm. this movie. I'll give it a B minus. Like I said, I don't like it. But if I'm taking my own personal feelings out of it, I think people could watch this film and still have a good time Um, because of the gore, because of the um, I like my heroes to actually have character development. And it's impossible in this film. Uh, when you see it, I'm uh, like, I can't get into it, but I could definitely understand why people would love this film because it's something I could honestly say you've never seen before. Um, the action sequences, even, uh, if you could get past the shaky cam, there's a couple of sequences, uh, especially the t- uh, there's a tank scene in this film to where um, 
it just looks amazing in the, the way he shot those particular scenes. So I think um, Jimmy's character is one of the more, um, which is Copley, one of the more likable side characters um, that I've seen in a film this year. He's a side character and he's like the main star at the same time, which is just, it's original when you think about that idea. So it's a B minus. Yeah. I think it's a passing grade. Um, I would recommend um, everyone to at least, if you like action, try to watch this film you'll know in the first um 20 minutes if you if you know if you need to finish it or not because if it's not for you you'll know right away but if it is for you and you like the first 20 minutes i think you should stick around for the remainder oh all right then so for me hardcore henry is a film that should be experienced by everybody because it's a true love it or hate it film it's very divisive you're either going to fall into one category or the other there really isn't a middle ground here suffice to say i am in that middle ground (laughs) i i i I love it for certain aspects because i did get my adrenaline rush out of it that i really crave from movies a lot of the times that i felt like a film like deadpool satisfied for me earlier on in the year um at the same time though I do want character development. I do want a better story. Uh, character and plot to me is everything. So with that said, there's also a twist at the end of this film that involves one of the uh, lead characters. And that just baffled my mind. And I was totally at a loss. I didn't feel like it was earned. I felt like it didn't make sense. And I it just kind of ruined my entire experience for the film from a story standpoint. But man, when you have such visual styles as film does and you're really going for something truly unique, balls to the wall, like just going for it, 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 it you can't help but put a smile on your face and enjoy the ride because that's what this film is. It's a wild, absolutely freaking nuts ride. Mm. So with that said, I'm going to give... Out of five stars, I'm going to give Hardcore Henry two and a half stars here. Love it or hate it, I I, I think that it it should definitely be watched. Maybe not by everybody, mind you. I'm not going to say a Christian should watch this film or something along those lines. But if you you have a, I guess, an appetite for violent films and you get a kick out of like the Quentin Tarantino uh, style... Uh, This doesn't really have his substance, but something that caters along the lines towards that, I think you'll get a kick out of this one. Hardcore Henry, two and a half stars for me. Mm. All right, so we did touch upon it a little bit in our review here. Uh, We talked about how Hardcore Henry has quite a bit of violence in it, and it's a little desensitizing, I think, to the viewer. I was saying myself that while I was watching it, I was becoming numb and I wasn't really feeling much of anything while watching the movie. So let's talk about that for a minute, not just within the confines of Hardcore Henry, but in film in general. So film, especially with the influence of filmmakers such as uh, Quentin Tarantino, have such a heavy style now and sometimes get accused of glorifying uh, violence. And we see this a lot being embraced in society, mostly due to video games, which can get away with hyper-stylized violence because it's not being shot on film with people. It's something that's being rendered in a computer. So there's a, a piece of the mind that does not associate that violence with the real world then. So 
there's kind of like an excuse to use more of it. Hardcore Henry essentially takes that thought process, applies it to its own entire movie, and other films, of course, have dilly-dabbled in this before, and there's been even some copycat crimes that have been influenced by movies. Uh, obviously, we saw that happening a lot more in like films of the 70s, films like Clockwork Orange, films like Taxi Driver. So now, in 2016, you know, when you see a film like Hardcore Henry, how does it make you feel on the state of violence in film today? Me personally, or? Yeah. All right, well, um, <clears throat> number one, it's, now we're to a point to where um, violence sells now with the Deadpool's, um, you know, Deadpool bro- broke a lot of records in February and it just keeps bre- breaking re- records. Um, I think Hollywood is starting to realize people want to see that. The problem is because um, you could do so much digitally now with uh, cameras and um, like you mm-hmm. talk about Quentin style a lot of people try to copy it. I don't think they're trying to copy it. I think they're trying to one-up it. But it's hard to one-up that stuff, right? Because it's so gory and it's so, you know, um, disgusting looking, um, for lack of a better synonym, I guess. But um, what happens now is every movie, and um, I think um, directors go out and they try to have like a defining moment that can make an audience say, <gasps> you know? And it's so hard to do that nowadays with this audience because we're so used to seeing you know, um, graphic crimes on video games. We're so used to seeing graphic crimes on other movies. So um, I, I know the I, I know the directors go in with an intent to make a wow factor. Like the whole um, Batman v Superman, bringing it back to that movie again. The, um, everybody's, no one was talking about the fight between Batman and Superman. Everyone was talking about that fight where Batman broke the guy's neck. He did, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know what scene I'm talking about. So, yeah, it, it, it's almost incentive for a director to add more scenes like that in, in a movie. In a movie like this, um, Hardcore Henry, it's definitely going to get attention for the amount of <gasps> moments, you know, gas moments that they have. So m- me personally, I, I think less is more. Um, I think a, a couple of movies have been successful um, in recent memory that haven't really abused um, the whole you know, gore here, gore there, gore here, gore there. Um, and I, yeah. I, I think um, when you start putting less in your movies, it's almost speaking to the audience more. And Marvel does a good job of that. You know, they barely, their action sequence, they have to get creative with it because they can't just go out and just stab people in the necks and stuff like that. So, um, and they're the most successful studio right now, Disney, when it comes to, um, you know, making money at the box office. So I think people should take a page out of their book. Me personally, for a person that, I get a little squeamish when it comes to that stuff. Definitely, I would like to see it stop, but I understand why Hollywood keeps pursuing it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I understand what you mean here. I, I do also believe the less is more approach is typically better. Mm-hmm. I do also think that when films use violence in a shocking manner, like you, you just don't see it coming or you didn't expect it to um, be as over the top as it is. I'm trying to think of a good example, but one of that comes to mind for me is a film like Drive mm-hmm. from 2011, where when that film gets violent, it gets really violent. Yeah. But those moments are spread out and it's not consistent all the way through the film. And so I think that's why it retains its impact 
very well, where a film that just throws it at you over and over and over again, like Hardcore Henry, really, really, really needed to earn that, uh, that uh, I guess I guess the phrase I'm looking for here is, is violence factor. <laughs> uh, uh, it needed to earn it. And I love that you brought up Deadpool. That's a great uh, choice for this conversation because the way that they portray Wade Wilson in the first half of that film sets it up that you really care about this character and when terrible things do start happening and he is... Um, you know, making fun of the fact that he's just being so barbaric with mm-hmm. his kills. You absolutely love it because you love the character. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to do hateful crimes like he does to innocent people. And that's not what this is about here. Um, but I sometimes do question how far is too far? Where is the line? How how much can filmmakers continue to push the envelope? We've seen in the horror genre how they could totally get carried away, where a filmmaker like Eli Roth uh, went with films like Hostel, where it was just torture porn was the phrase yeah. that was coined yeah. uh, when Saw came out officially in 2003. And it just became a huge, huge worldwide phenomenon with a film like Hostel. But torture porn became its own thing where it just was how far can we push it how far can we push it but what they were forgetting was that they were forgetting to add in moments of character and compelling story to back it up if you don't have that in the film then you really are just presenting terrible violence for the sake of it to get a shock and a wow moment out of an audience member and that you you brought up a, a you know a great phrase in um Torture porn is almost become its own genre because there are people who just they love watching torture porn and they could watch it for two hours and that could be their movie. But that's a a, a minute group. So when you talk about uh, movies like this, even though you could argue this is torture porn with um, Hardcore Henry, but I think it's it has a place. And in this universe, it makes sense. The idea is it's a killing machine similar to the Terminator to where he's supposed to be gifted in killing people in creative ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense in this universe and it actually adds to the story or what, you know, we, we already said it barely had a story, but um, yeah. So when, when, when that's in a film like Deadpool, that's the biggest difference from movies and why I don't like the, you know, the saw sequels it's because it's okay. They just want to see how, how much they could gross out the audience, you know, or how much they could make people squirm in their seats. And um, I, I always think there's a, a clear separation between film and reality. I think regardless of what you do, some people are they're going to go over that edge and cross the line, you know, with some of the crimes that we've seen in uh, theater in re- recent history. I think um, movies, I don't think they necessarily serve a, a catalyst for that. I think those um, individuals, sometimes they'll go over the edge anyway, but they just need um, uh, they're looking for a venue to do it in. So um, because I remember Dark Knight um, Rises was um, the that was one of the um, more recent theater um, shootings that I could remember. And a lot of people were saying, "Okay, violence, um, the movies, um, violence in movies has to stop when to me it's um, the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan films had some of the um, worst action in um, comic book movies ever. You know, it had great story, (laughs) you know, but that's I don't think that would necessarily, you know, motivate somebody to go out and, and do the crimes that 
happened or whatever. So um, I do think there's a separation, like I said, between um, reality and um, the film world. But um, it's uh, the route that we're going in. I think it's going to get worse in regards to torture porn. So who who knows? I just know like right now, rated R movies are selling. I don't know what um, Hardcore Henry's going to finish up with um, at the box office this week, but I would imagine on its budget, it's definitely going to be um, a success because I've been hearing buzz about it. Um, but, um, I, I think Hollywood's going to really start pushing the envelope in regards to how far they could go with, um, torture porn. Here's what it all comes down to. In the end, when we were growing up, our parents grew up in a much more conservative society, um, with much stricter upbringing than probably what we had. And certainly not surrounded in the type of world that we're surrounded by today. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. We, when we have kids, you know, I don't know if you have kids. I don't have kids. I have three and counting. I'm expecting a fourth. Oh, well, there you go. So how do you raise a child in a world where it's so easy to go to a friend's house and see them playing a rated M for mature video game? And now, maybe possibly even as young as, say, age seven, they're watching things that at age seven, my mom would have slapped the heck out of me mm-hmm. if she found out I was watching or even playing these things. I, I, I definitely remember my parents tried very hard to shield me when I was younger from even a rated T for teen game at the time. You could, well, even, you couldn't even go to, um, I, I, I bought, um, I, I sold candy when I was in the seventh grade to go buy um i was a huge fan of nightmare on elm street and i wanted to go buy um the vhs collection so um i i I sold enough candy to buy at least one and um i chose to buy nightmare on elm street one and i got sent home i walked all the way to a um a local walmart and walmarts weren't on every corner back then yet yet Mm -hmm. so um i walked a couple of miles you know as a seventh grader i was you know a lot of footwork and um only to be sent back home because i wasn't 17 or older um same thing with theaters. I worked at a theater before and we would send kids back home if you were um, 17 and younger, or oh, excuse me, 16 and younger trying to watch a rated R movie. You don't see that now because there were a couple of kids in the theater I was in and ushers weren't checking for tickets. Um, you know, the t- kids at the box office weren't asking for ID. So it, it, it happens rarely now. But like you said, the world has changed. It's like um, people are more acceptable to it, to where it's like, whatever, it's kids are watching it at home anyway. So why can't they, you know, watch it in the theater or why can't they play this game at home? Because everybody's playing it, you know? So like I said, like you said, we grew up in a stricter environment when we were younger, but now it's, um, you know, the parents have kind of, uh, given the kids more leash, you know, they keep them on a longer leash now. Right. And I don't know if that has to stem from just submitting to the way that the world is basically and not Mm -hmm. trying as hard as they can to shield their kids from it. But whatever the case may be, I know that for me, when the day comes when I have kids, I'm definitely going to show them different kinds of films, films that feature heroes that will inspire them and that they can look up to films that will make them laugh. I'm going to do my best to withhold other types of films, even the ones like Batman vs. Superman, mm-hmm. which is PG-13, but is a very dark PG vs. Uh, PG-13 film. Yep. And they're certainly not going to see Deadpool. I can tell you that right now. 
And I know that was its own controversy when that film came out with kids wanting to sneak into theaters. My, I mean, my, my, my oldest daughter is six years old. So it's, um, you always have to give it to them in increments to where my, my daughter doesn't have that prefer, uh, preference for those type of films only because like, like you said, what you'll do with your kids, I do with mine. I shield them from certain themes to where they're only interested in what they should be interested in for their age group, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like um, when it comes to, you know, my kids, I, I kind of select at least the genres I want them to explore. And just like, you know, Disney movies taught us about adult themes, but in an immature manner. So that's th- those are kind of the spoons that I'm feeding my kids now. It's OK. How can they learn about life lessons, but through a proper medium? Right. Right. I have a son as well. And, and for me to get him to watch a, a comic book movie, I have to force him just because it's like he's not used to watching. That's too that's too grown for him, you know. I I I watched the um Star Wars Force Force Awakens three times this week, and he wouldn't watch it with me once because even that, because he's he's three, but even that is it's it's too adult for him, right? So hmm. yeah, so even that, yeah, you wouldn't think Star Wars because you're it's easy to point at um Batman v Superman because that's dark and it's a dark theme, but yeah, when you look at um what's acceptable now, even um. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. It's it's a pretty dark movie when you I'm talking yeah. about what's what's going on in that movie. But we only really point to um, Batman v Superman because it's it's literally dark. Like you know the colors dark or you know the themes are they're just outright saying it. But no, like um, it, a lot of stuff that comes out in um, popular media today, it's they. Um, I think Hollywood markets to adults. So since we have nothing for our kids to watch, they almost. That's that's why parents submit. It's because okay, if I don't let them watch this, what else are they gonna watch? Yeah, yeah. Maybe there needs to be a more uh, saturated um, list of options yep. for everyone to be able to choose from, instead of focusing on what is more heavily marketed, which are these kinds of films here. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm gonna end it on that note. Actually, I think that's a pretty poignant uh, note to end it on. And now. We're actually going to do a round of Cinema Throwdown, which we did not get to do last week as my pal James and I instead took a little detour to preview season six of Game of Thrones, which will be airing in two weeks time. And James and I will be back to recap all of the future episodes of this upcoming season right here on the Neg's Best Film Podcast. May have to come up with a new name for the show, actually, seeing as how we're going to be covering a bit of TV in that regard. But I'm considering this to be a one-off thing for now. Our main priority here is film, and that's what Cinema Throwdown is, as Couch and I are each going to choose one film that is a video game adaptation, and we're going to have a debate as to which film we think is better. The choice for this week is going to be video game adaptation. Couch, what is your choice? I'm going with Mortal Kombat. Ooh. Okay. All right. And then for me, I'm going to go with the Resident Evil series. So, gentlemen, start your engines. This here is Cinema Throwdown. From now on, we are enemies. You and I. Okay, so I chose 1995's Mortal Kombat. And for me to be saying that in 2016, it sounds laughable. But when you actually, you know, go in your little time machine... Um, I chose this movie for three specific reasons. Number one, it was successful at the box office, which is how we grade a lot of movies today. 
Um, number two, um, Ebert, um, he was kind of in the middle, so I wanted to at least talk about the critical uh, response. So um, Ebert was, Roger Ebert was in the middle um, when it came to ranking this film, but he, only because it wasn't brutal enough. He didn't have any issues with the story. Um, and um, I'll get into some of that as well, but for the time, you couldn't be too brutal. You gotta remember, this is coming off of the eaves of um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films, which actually got boycotted by a lot of parents, similar to what was happening with Deadpool, but like times 10. So um, they couldn't be too um, graphic, and that's why people had issues with it, because it was based off of a video game where fatalities were everything, and they couldn't put what was happening on the video games into the movie, which we could do now. So um, when you talk about the time limitations, this, in my opinion, was the most influential um, video game adaptation. Um, only because a lot of people struggle with um, saying that video game movies can't be successful. Like, well, there's a list of uh, a lot of films that just have failed critically, have failed um, box office-wise, when this was actually one of the uh, grandfathers of that, and it actually had success with the first installment. So I definitely think um, in regards to ranking it for the culture, this film is better than um, Resident Evil. Um, it did more for the culture, it did more. They're still trying to copycat the success that the first one had um, to this day. And hopefully Hardcore Henry does that, but I doubt it. So um, if we're ranking these films, I, I think this is definitely on the Mount Rushmore video game films where Resident Evil is not. Well, that, sir, is where you are wrong. And that is because Mortal Kombat is terribly acted, terribly written, terribly costumed. They did not have the resources due to fatalities uh, the way that they are portrayed in the video games. And you're 100% right in that, yeah, they couldn't capture it like that at the time. But then, don't make the movie. That That's the aspect of the video game that sells. Now, I am going to say, for the record, that video game adaptations, they're not typically good at all so even i'm gonna admit that resident evil not not the greatest film in the world here i agree although out of all the movies that i could have chosen here from angelina jolie's tomb raider to blood rain to silent hill to mark Wahlberg and max Payne, the resident evil series i think is something that i don't think any of us expected it to have legs the way that it has as far as a film series goes I mean, can you believe that this uh, series of movies here ha is still going on and they're still coming out with even more movies? Yeah, oddly enough, I can believe it only because of the, um, the budget cuts they make when it comes to some of the people that they actually cast in those movies. Um, mm. I, I would have to research what their budget is because I'm not sure, but I just know the one thing that's um, consistent with these films, they have an audience. And you got, I think this film actually benefits from um, the game. I think the game makes the movies. I think people go in blindly to these movies. It's like a bait and switch type thing. Um, Cause mm -hmm. you know, their audience, they, they have a successful audience um, rankings on Rotten Tomatoes, but the critical response is always consistent. It's like uh, 33 and under, right? For these, I, yeah. you would have to double check. I'm not really sure, but I just know they, they received, they received the same critical flack that um, Mortal Kombat does. Um, and right. I think th what uh, Hollywood has been successful with these films in doing only because of the um, video game series is they're making straight to DVD films, but they're releasing them in theaters. 
it's unheard of why these films continue to sell. But like I said, the biggest um, the biggest difference between Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil is I actually think Mortal Kombat the films film excuse me excuse me it bought an audience to the video game. Me personally, I grew up as a Street Fighter fan, but the film made me go back and play the video game. I can't say that about Resident Evil. I think people go in because- Oh no, I totally could say that. Come on. You think that there's people that went out and bought a Resident Evil game because of the movie? Surely. No, I, that's impossible. And I don't even think you no, believe No, it's not that. impossible. I'm sure there's <laughs> one person that- did. Yeah, one person. I, I agree. I think there's millions of people that actually were introduced to um, Mortal Kombat via the movie. You gotta realize this movie did 121 million um, worldwide. And um, it, you have to put it in the grand scheme of things because now you look at 121 million, you're, you're like, that's horrible. But at the time in 1995, this movie was the number one movie in the at the box office three weeks in a row. People don't do that anymore, right? Yeah. So despite the critical reception that it got, people kept coming back, right? And number um, two, 122 million um, worldwide seems laughable at this point, but it's an $18 million budget. That's number one, because you talked about some of the restraints that they had. At the time, these were, the, uh, other than, um, I forgot his name, the guy with the four arms, other than him, they were actually considered to be, um, the CGI in this movie and some of the um, special effects was considered to be uh, groundbreaking. It, other than that guy in the costume that just looked horrible but um this was, <laughs> this was also the second highest um august opening at the time right it beat out the um, um it beat out fugitive which had the um record um the first time so when you talk about what this movie did it created an audience of people who didn't know the video game your movie didn't do that so like when I'm talking about a successful well, explain, explain this to me then how come how come as all of the Resident Evil movies have come out over time they progressively have gotten more and more and more box office grubs well see that's a mystery that I I can't really speak on at this point I'll give you my my um I have nothing to uh, base this off of but I've seen a couple of um the, uh, the movies at, at theaters um mm -hmm. so I'm just this is purely speculation right what Resident Evil does they do a good job of um, it's they do a good job of uh, casting for particular uh, niche audiences, right? So they um, Boris Kojo was in one of these films. I forgot which one it was. Right. So what they'll do is they'll they'll actually recruit Boris Kojo fans. So they'll get that because um, he was in a at the time when he was actually cast in one of the Resident Evils, he was very very big in the um, Christian community because he was in a couple of Tyler Perry movies. So what they what they'll do is they'll they'll pull from his audience and they'll put him on a poster, right? You yeah. They'll grab, okay, they'll grab um, sci-fi audiences with their with their particular lead. I forgot what's what's her name. Uh, Mila Jovovich. Oh, God, I always I you, always butcher this. You, Mila Jovovich. You say it better than I do. Um, and they'll they'll steal her audience. So what they do is they don't spend a lot of money on the actors that they do cast, but whoever they do cast, they make sure that they get um, somebody that has a niche following. And that's all they're doing. It's almost, um, it's like YouTube marketing, but in movies. It's so something I've never seen before and they're successful in it. But um, I don't focus too much on numbers. If you notice, I bought up numbers, but I also bought up the cultural impact because this movie was introducing um, Mortal Kombat overseas to where 
worldwide sales for um, video games aren't like they are now to where they have those um, one-time mass releases. So a lot of people that were um, overseas and watching this movie, this was their first introduction to the world of Mortal Kombat. So it actually helped um, raise um, the uh, cartridge sales for Super NES and Sega Genesis, etc. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Your movie, it couldn't have done that because unfortunately it's in a day and age to where Resident Evil is pushing out these movies, um, the, these uh, video games overseas to where it's hard to have that same cultural impact. So it, from that stake, it's impossible for you to compete with me on that level. And where we're talking purely a respectful video game adaptation, I think Mortal Kombat is successful in that 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 um that that route. A lot of people like I was a Resident Evil fan and I I hated the first film. I actually um I've only seen the first film. I, I um I paid at theaters um to go watch it because I was such a fan of the franchise and um I was one of those guys that like you know in the game that's not how it happens. When you watch um, Mortal Kombat, it's as if you're playing a video game. They go to a tournament and they beat the hell out of each other. You know, and they, they stayed true to the actual source material. The only thing they couldn't do, and it wasn't a, a situation where they they um, they um couldn't because of resources. It's because they couldn't because of parents. Parents just wouldn't let them put some of that um, graphic stuff on um, film. Like I said, when you watch the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you watch the second, you realize that the first one was more gritty, the second was, was more popcorn. That's because parents had a lot more stock um, um, into what was being released by Hollywood back then. They would protest. That's how we have those uh, ratings on TVs now where it says rated Y for, um, you know, rated M for mature, etc. Parents were the, the actual um, people lobbying to um, get that done. So my movie came out during the midst of all of that. So a lot of controversy surrounding the film and for it to be as successful as it was, um, that's hard. That, that's very, very difficult. You can't do that nowadays. And actually, the numbers that I told you about this film, a lot of um, video game adaptations that are um, released today would beg for those numbers. You know, would beg to be number one at the box office three weeks in a row. Would beg to be number one at the box office at least one week. And they would also um, beg to at least have that um, opening weekend, 23.2 million. Those are still complimentary numbers today. Like that's actually a successful film. Like coming off of an $18 million budget, you make your money back week one. Movies don't even do that today. So I, I like we laugh because, um, you know, um, it looks cheesy and I get it. But the same reason you said, you said that it, um, and you agreed with me when I said it, excuse me, that Hardcore Henry worked is because it was cheesy and it reminded people of a video game. I think Mortal Kombat did that first and because of that, it's developed a cult following. There's This movie has, a, even though it was successful when it came out in the theaters, it's kind of an oxymoron because it has a large fan base and a cult fan base at the same time. So that's amazing. Well, with all that said, sci-fi zombie action is still very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and because I don't have much of a voice uh, for this episode, I am going to leave it at that because... Yeah, I think I think I think seven films in at this point for Resident Evil. If you guys are not in tune with the series or never seen any of the films in this series, then there's not much I'm going to say that's going to necessarily sway you. However, I still do hold firm in my belief that Mortal Kombat for I'm not taking away any of the stuff that you said about its cultural relevance and what it was able to achieve. 
but it's still a bad film. It's still terribly written. It's still horribly acted. It has that that line delivery that <laughs> that that YouTube video yeah. where he just says, "Mother, you're alive. Too bad you will die." It's like so cheesy. Let me <laughs> let me say this only because remember we're we're arguing and we're debating, but you talk about me being able to debate like I did for Mortal Kombat, which is a bad film. I definitely agree. And, it, you know, I had to actually dig to find facts to support it. But um, the movie was successful box office wise. It is something that I watched that introduced me to the video game. So um, at the time for, for, for kids, it had its place in history. It definitely doesn't hold up because I don't want um, I don't want it to get twisted that I was uh, lobbying that this is uh, one of the best movies ever made. But um, for its time. It, it had its audience and that audience still exists today but um i i agree with you though like now that we could now that the debate is over resident evil is a superior film i'm still surprised like what number are those guys on oh i believe i i honestly think it is seven at this point that is crazy um, that that's crazy and that yeah, it, that's amazing it's going to be the last one too I'm not buying that because when you actually it's called the final chapter, uh, that doesn't mean anything <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> but um, when you actually, I, I didn't want to bring up their numbers because they actually have been successful at the box office. I don't know how they're doing it, but they found some secret and it works. It has a following and that following is strong. So um, definitely both of these movies are, you, um, you could argue these are the only two successful video game adaptations so far. I can't really think of anything else. All right. Well, it's been a fun debate here on Cinema Throwdown. All of you listeners out there, feel free to hop on negsbestthing.com, vote in the polls, and let us know which film you think is the better video game adaptation. Is it Mortal Kombat or is it Resident Evil? So I want to thank you, Couch, for being with me on the show today. That just about does it. But before you go... Why don't you tell everybody listening where they could find you on the internet? Hey, number one, next. Thanks for having me, man. Um, and they could find me at uh, you, uh, www.youtube.com slash Couch Tomato Films. If you love movies, definitely check out my channel. The funny thing is if you hate movies, you probably want to check it out also. I think you'll have a great time. Um, and that's uh, I'm basically slash Couch Tomato Films everywhere. Facebook, um, Twitter, Catch uh couch tomato films without the s so it's easy to fa- uh, find me i do uh 24 reasons why this movie is the same as that movie um and uh it's probably something you've never seen before so check it out yeah your work is pretty awesome and i definitely get uh a, a pretty solid kick out of it myself i'm definitely a fan so please feel free to check out this man's work it really is quite stellar stuff I want to thank you once again for being on the show. That's going to do it today for episode eight of the Negs Best Film Podcast. And we will see you next time. I am Matty Negs and I have virtually no voice. Take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.